This episode of the Full Mag Podcast is brought to you by you. Why? Because you're awesome. No, the last few months have been insane for me. We filmed this podcast as I was moving across the country. And with all my different jobs and duties that I have, some of the things hit the back burner. And I'd like to say I'm back, finally. Finally, uh, even though this episode was from last winter, Donnie is the man. There was no way I was going to let this podcast sit on the shelf. So if you're not already following Donnie Vincent on social media, go to DonnieVincent.com, and you'll see why he's so respected within the sportsman community to wildlife conservationists and average Joes. He does an exceptional job of telling stories and is just an insanely awesome guy to hang around. So enjoy this fireside episode as we film in a cabin during a snowstorm in the woods of Oregon. Three, two, right? All right. uh, So you guys might notice uh, that are watching this on video. We're in a little bit different location. You don't see the guns behind me. The paintings, we are in Oregon. I'm joined by Mr. Donnie Vincent and David Eaton. And um, we are, we're, we're uh, kind of the Boise-ish, kind of Ish. Baker City-ish. We're out here shooting some some fun stuff uh, with muskets or a musket and some compound recurve bows and yeah. good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, that's about right. Yeah, that's, that's, about, that's about right. That's, that's about, about right. right. I don't even know. I don't know where to begin because we like we spent more time arguably running than we did shooting. <laughs> we did. We did. That was a significant portion of uh, of our day yesterday, and then also today. Yeah, I mean, fog, rain, wind, snow, run, rerun. It was great. It's yeah. great. It's funny though, is because half of the stuff that I do is everyone's like, "Oh, great shot!" Blah 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 blah. There's not a whole lot of physicality behind it. Whenever yeah. we go to the desert, it's like unloading the truck, and that's more like taking in the heat and stuff like that is really what's more taxing than anything. And um, this was this was a lot of running today. This this was definitely on more on, on my side of things, right? My the the place that I live is usually very physical every day of what we're doing when we're filming. But my favorite part was doing the trick shooting today oh yeah even just having the opportunity yeah even i mean that was i literally could have shot at the cards and the candles all day really yeah okay so for some of you guys who um might not have seen the video or i don't know when this is going to go up but what we were doing is trick shots with uh, the compound bow with the musket and everything and um i don't know i was a little apprehensive myself too because i i, yeah. I traditionally don't shoot a lot of muzzleloader and, mm-hmm. and when it comes to just swaggered balls <laughs> <laughs> like that's great it's great uh i had no idea what to expect far as accuracy and and very much like you in the beginning i i shot my first first shot with a muzzleloader was like dead on as well screw it i'm just gonna go ahead because i don't want to have to clean out the rifle and everything several yeah. times so i'm just gonna go ahead and start doing the the yeah. shooting the candle and the card and everything but you were dead on for the for the candle right in the beginning mm-hmm. i was like I, I don't know what do you, what do you think about that what do you think about <laughs> well, it was that? it was i mean first of all i didn't i didn't yeah i mean i didn't think i was gonna hit it the first shot but yeah it's just it's it, it was a lot of fun because i never 
shoot for that cause and effect, you know, unless I'm shooting an animal, of course, there's an effect there, but yeah. having that cause and effect, but it was, you know, when you're shooting a compound, your pin just always kind of floats around. So I have my floating pin and the floating flame. And so it was just, I don't know, it was just a lot of fun. And then, and then knowing whatever happened was going to be caught on the high speed camera. So it was yeah. just, yeah, you know, the wind was a pain in the butt. It was a pain in the butt, but you just, I just buried my pin you know, in the first two, I was just like, oh, yeah, I can do this. I can keep shooting this wick all day long. But then it's gets in your head. It's taxing. It is. It's so funny because a lot of a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you can shoot. Like, well, like whenever you're having to frame up a shot and just hold your arm out for extended periods of time, mm-hmm. gasses you so fast. And like I try to do all the precision stuff right out of the gate because if I if I have to frame up for camera several times my precision or accuracy just goes down yeah. towards the money shots yeah. things that really matter for our slow-mo and if you have targets like a 700 iphone or something like that the last thing you want to do is be off or miss it because then it's like oh you suck because not many people <laughs> can take and like set up like several iphones and stuff like that and do them back to back if you mess up so it's really important just to, to nail it right in but so like, explain a little bit like your your form on that like you were telling me because i don't really know everyone's like oh that was really cool what you did with the iphone shooting like oh doesn't he's not really an archer but then he ends up shooting the phone like that it's like well i mean i'm consistent but i might be like developing training scars and how i'm sure. shooting and everything so for me it's it's really really cool to see somebody who shoots I guess you could say professionally because you, you make a living off of hunting. I do. I, you know, obviously I'm not a professional archer in the regards of like shooting for a score and getting paid and winning tournaments. But, um, yeah, I, I get, I guess I get paid to be an archer to some degree. Yeah. So, so explain like your, 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 your release and, and everything. So like even shooting the flame, you know, like I said, just a minute ago, the pin always moves. So even though the pin always moves, you'd be amazed what your mind, your subconscious mind can do as you're going through that execution. Your mind can only do one thing at once. You can't hold the pin on the wick of the candle and pull the trigger. You cannot do those two things simultaneously. So I try to get my subconscious mind to release the trigger so my active mind can just aim, 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 aim. And so essentially I have my left hand on my bow. My right hand has my mechanical release and I have my finger fully wrapped around my trigger already engaging the trigger and I basically try to pull the bow apart I'm pushing not not so much that I'm torquing anything but I'm pushing against the bow and I'm using my back muscles not my finger or my arm because as we travel down the distal portion of our arm and our finger we start to lose motor control so if I can use my back big muscle and I can just pull and just act like I'm pulling that bow apart, then pop, it just goes off. Yeah. And I was in control of making it go off so I could focus on aiming. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing. So I'm just keeping my pin on that flame as much as I can. And then just pulling that bow apart until it just pops. Cause if I command the trigger a, as I start to miss when I command the trigger, that's just going to get in my head. Yeah. And I'm going to try to command the trigger and try to command the trigger. And I'm going to miss, 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 miss. To whereas it's almost like not my responsibility when the bow goes off. You know what I mean? Like I see what you're saying. I just keep going through the same execution. And when the bow goes off, the bow goes off and my pin should be in the right spot. Yeah. It's like a trigger break and like, yeah, 
Gotcha. I gotta, I gotta practice that because I'm, I'm the way I've been shooting is with, with one or two fingers and then just, just kind of, kind of shooting it like a gun in that sense where I get on my hold and then I just slowly release it until I feel it break. But I guess that wouldn't be applicable to a hunting application because uh, when you need it to go, you need it to go. And if I'm relying too much on the, the break of the, the pull Trigger. from my finger, then I wouldn't necessarily be as accurate as... It, but sometimes it does still... You mean in regards to the animal moving or something? Yeah, like, yeah absolutely. There's, it's a it's absolutely. an organic environment, but a lot of times the animals you can like if you pick your shot, you pick the right instance. Like you can still go through your full follow through, um, because if you can't, a lot of times if you can't, you maybe shouldn't be taking that shot. With a gun, it's different, but with a bow, like if you can't go through your full execution and the animal's not stopping or giving you the right angle, then you should probably wait a little bit. But um, you'd be surprised at how good you can get at timing your execution with kind of what the animal is doing. And then also like with my setup, I shoot a really heavy arrow and a really heavy broadhead, a really sharp broadhead. So I, I shoot an arrow for a really bad day. So if the animal does give me a funny angle, something, the animal moves before my arrow gets there something like that, my arrow is still going to be devastating because I, you know, I owe it to that animal to, to kill it as fast as possible. And yeah. And so you, what you were telling me is that you pretty much hunt with the same thing all the time no like matter with what the same grain arrow for animal to animal yep. like what, what what weight grain and uh, so my arrow is 460 grains and then my broadhead um my average broadhead that i shoot is 200 grains and then i've just now started testing with a 315 grain arrow or broadhead and so my total setup will be 775 grains whether i'm shooting a rabbit or i'm shooting you know, a brown bear in Alaska. It'll, yeah. It's the exact same arrow. And, and um, I just feel comfortable learning my setup, learning how that arrow is going to shoot, learning how it's going to react. And I'd rather just keep that and adapt it to my hunting than try to come up with a different setup for, for each different animal. And that's, it, you know, I weigh on the side of heavy lethality for sure. Yeah. 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 Well, um, I just wanted to address some of the gear stuff in the beginning because <laughs> I know that's what like, uh, I was talking with Casey beforehand and, and, and everything. And of course everyone wants to hear what everybody else is using, but you made a comment whenever we were, we were walking out in the snow. Cause I had no, I don't really spend a lot of time out in the snow or anything like that. So I was like, ah, well I'll just get a jacket and for these shots and everything, we'll just put, whatever on and i i got some hiking boots because the um the sf guys i'm always around or whatever they're always wearing hiking boots i feel so stupid wearing like tactical boots all the time and everything so it's like all right i'll get some ha hiking boots and i was like all right what has the highest reviews and most rated and everything he's like all right cool i'll just get those and yeah. and then like i thought you were busting my balls <laughs> no we were wearing the same boots. Yeah, we were wearing the same boots. Yeah. Or so, same boot manufacturer, similar boots. Yeah, so yeah. I, thought, I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, same pants, same, <laughs> same pants, blue jeans and same everything. Same boots. Yeah. So, uh, so we got we got all the gear stuff pretty much out of the way. Everyone's <laughs> like, but you didn't say what they were. Well, you'll, you'll, have, to, you'll have to hit Donnie up on uh, social media and, and, and yeah. just pry that out of him. Yeah. To get the, the gear list, the gear list. I do wish, uh, I mean, the running and everything was fun, but I, I, the shooting was a lot of fun. Yeah. 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 I, 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 for me, we always shoot in the desert 
for the most part, mm-hmm. not always. I shoot a lot in Tennessee too, uh, but shooting in the desert is nice. It's clear. It's warm a lot of the time, but you know what you're going to get and it's consistent pretty much throughout the year. But this was really kind of a treat. Um, it sucks that we're so focused on work because just the ambient nature, mm-hmm. I, like I very seldom get to see snow like this. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it was a huge roll of the dice coming up here. It was like, where can we get snow for this shoot? Is it going to be Phoenix? Is it going to be, is it going to be Big Bear, uh, Lake Tahoe? Or like, ah, screw it. We'll just go up to Oregon. Mm-hmm. I know a guy who has a, a mine up there and everything, and he'll let us have access to the property. And It's an awesome just, spot. It's really great. I mean, there's nothing else to do except for to film in the woods, but it was good. It was yeah. really good. Uh, and you learn how to make a snowman, right? Mm. I, I it's I can't believe I didn't know how like make a. I felt so stupid because all right, I'm gonna explain explain to everybody. It's like I like in Tennessee we get snow. We don't get crazy amounts of snow. Whenever I was a kid, we did the the snow caves and igloos and stuff like that and the blizzard of 93 (laughs) that's like the only snow that we've (laughs) really substantially gotten but you're from minnesota so you you get it all the time but i didn't know like the proper way to build a snowman no you didn't in a reasonable amount of time so i'm trying to like to scoop and packs and build snow (laughs) like you would play-doh or something like that <laughs> yeah you made a beautiful stalactite or stalagmite which one's on the bottom i forget <laughs> so yeah. so donnie donnie ends up like uh taking and and doing the snowball rolling down the hill thing yeah. and builds three snowmen in the time it takes me to make this this, <laughs> this pitiful looking stalactite <laughs> yeah so uh i i learned a lot of things learned a lot of things but I'm really curious about these these trips. I really tried to keep from like prying this out because I wanted to talk about this in front of everybody. Because you say some, you like you just off the cuff mentioned some pretty crazy stories. Like I I want to hear about first how you guys pack out, mm-hmm. but I want to hear about this wolf thing that you're talking mm-hmm. about. Cause fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this is so let's explain just tell everyone where you were uh where you were going when we ran into the wolves yeah yeah so we went um up out of a little village called Kotzebue in northwest alaska basically the last piece of land in between you know russia and the united states right on the chukchi sea up there but flew into Kotzebue and then took a, a bush flight out from there and we just basically pay a pilot to take us out in the Arctic, we're probably 250 miles, 200 miles north of the Arctic Circle, drops us off and we camp for, you know, 15 to 30 days. You and who else? Me and the crew. So it's just the three of us, um, two photographers and myself, and then we just are bow hunting, caribou, moose, black bears, you know, we generally just go on an adventure, tell a story. How do you guys pack for that? Um, it's, well, everything with the bush plane is weight dependent and we have to pay for every pound. So, you know, you're no matter what, you're very aware of that. And then also with pounds, you can get multiple flights. So then if you have bad weather or if you have a, a dangerous landing spot, it all starts to add up. So, um, the right clothing, minimal clothing, you know, we, 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 we bring, um, layering systems, merino wool against our skin. We have um, down series that we wear in between if it's really cold and then excuse me and then rain gear 
um, backpacks. We use a little light teepee with a little tin wood stove in it, backpacking stoves, all freeze dried food, you know, bring a couple of knives, uh, archery gear, hunting gear, binoculars, things like that. But beyond that, it's roughly it in a book. And I mean, the, the three of us will go out there and we'll have, um, with all of our camera gear and everything, three of us will have, um, somewhere around 250 pounds of gear. Wow. Yeah. It's, 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 it's actually really cool when you can, I mean, sometimes when I, I'll, I'll go on a business trip to New York for four days and I think I bring more. Oh than, yeah. Then yeah. Than going Especially to the if Arctic you're taking a Pelican days. or something. Yeah. yeah. Cause I th you think about every piece, you literally think about every single piece that you're bringing. And then we bring little tips and, and tricks and things like, you know, Ambisol in case you get a toothache, because if, if you have a problem there, whether it be catastrophic or something minor, you get something in your eye or something, help is not coming, right? It's yeah. going to take at least a day or so to get, to get help. So you, you want to have a little bit of supplies to, to get you by, but, um, we bring just enough food to get us by. Hopefully we're a caribou or moose, you know, so we have, um, meat in camp, but if we don't, we bring just enough food to get by. And I mean, when we fly out, we're hungry yeah for sure but when you're there like when we fly in if you fly in for five days or six days you know you'll have you'll definitely have some really cool experiences we've we've had we've had some really fantastic just single days but the longer you stay the more in tune you get to your area the more you look around the more you can pick the place apart and the more the wildlife that's there um if you if you camp conservatively and you're quiet and you move with purpose and you're you're aware of your surroundings the wildlife just kind of starts to accept that you're there and you start to have these interactions like hence the wolves and grizzly bears caribou moose things like that so how'd that come about the, the wolves yeah did they they come up on you on camp or did you no we were um uh we had this big bull moose that we had been watching for four or five days and we were just waiting they're so heavy that you have to like even though we were seeing these really big bull moose every single day, several of them. We had to wait for one to move into position where we could kill it, mm -hmm. hunt it, kill it, hopefully, if we were successful. Uh, but then we have to cut it up, carry it up about 2,000 feet elevation and um, one to three miles back to the airstrip. So, you know, the animal weighs about 1,800 pounds. Yeah. Yeah, so you want to be very cognizant of where you're, you're going to arrow one. So... Um, we, we'd been watching several big bulls, but we'd watched this big bull that, that we'd seen several days and he bed down and we were, we were going down through the alders to get to him. And, and, uh, you know, there's, there's grizzly tracks and wolf tracks everywhere. But as we're going there, I noticed what I thought was a, um, a moose paddle, the white portion of their antler, the flat portion of their antler yeah. through the brush. And I stopped, stopped the guys. And I was like, Oh, he's, he's right there. I can see his paddle. And I looked again and it was a white wolf. And so I'm like, oh, it's hey, it's a white wolf, and and uh, my main photographer, his name's William. I said, William, want to sneak up there, see if you can grab a picture of him or film him or whatever. He seems um, kind of chill. Sneak up on the wolf, <laughs> yeah, sneak up on the wolf, and see 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 how it reacts. And so a lot of times the wolves, like when you see them, they just disappear. Mm -hmm. I mean, like magic man, boom, gone. But this one was staying, and so I was like, sneak up there, see if you can film him, and uh, and he stayed, and then. He turned and disappeared, and when he disappeared, we thought, oh, okay, he's gone, you know, whatever, and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, we see another wolf off to our right, and this guy comes out, and we thought it was the same wolf at first, but then we're like, ah, that one looks a little bit darker gray than the other one, and then 
pretty soon as we started to, to become more aware, one wolf, then two wolves, and three wolves, and four wolves, and there's probably seven, eight, nine wolves, something like that. We couldn't see them all at once, but we, they were all within, I'm going to say 20 yards of us. Yeah. Maybe 30 yards at the most. And what I think they were doing was just kind of checking us out. We were new. You know, they're probably checking us off a list of being an available food source, but you could see it in their face. Uh, it wasn't scary at all. I mean, I was, I was definitely aware, but you can see it in their face that, that they were going to make the right decision, if, if, if that makes sense. No, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> right, like, right decision. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't think I really trust a um, a pack of wolves to make the right decision, especially if they're hungry. The only thing like, that was so nerve wracking is a couple would come in behind us, and they do this little. They go <laughs> quietly, so they were communicating with each other. Yeah, in between, so. Like, huh, you know, yeah, you know, it's a standard tactic, right? You know, they, they divided their army and yeah, no, you know, but <clears throat> it was cool. It was, was it, awesome. So what was the, what do you think the whole situation was? Did you come up on it and they were like, like, was this their den or had they like, there was like a fresh kill or something or the, did you they, guys kill something or they were hunting as well. And I think they were hunting. I think they were going to stalk the same moose that we were stalking. We were both in the same alder patch, both traveling in the same direction, and I think just both smacked, ran right smack into each other. I see. Yeah. So how does that play when you're in the Arctic Circle then and you have a, you're hunting bear and moose and everything else and you kill an animal mm -hmm. and you you're cooking it as you're primary meat source with your mm -hmm. freeze-dried whatever mm -hmm. and you're in camp cooking meat that's just floating downwind with predators and, and you have a uh you have a teepee to sleep in mm -hmm. <laughs> how does that a work thin teepee um it, it actually works really well generally because uh they're terrified of humans really right yeah it's terrified so very rarely we have had a couple of instances where um a grizzly bear or brown bear will wander into camp and, and, um, and, and not run away. Like when you give them a signal or, or, you know, and try to scare them away. And, and I just had a grizzly bear, uh, same trip. And I had left camp with the guys. We walked out onto this ridge. We were going to, there's this place, there was a gorgeous ridge where we could sit right at the tip. Uh, it basically looked like the, an end of a finger and we could see this huge swamp all the way around us. And it was just filled with moose. It was really awesome habitat, but um, I had forgot something back at camp. So I told the guy, I said, Hey, you guys stay here. I'm going to run back to camp and grab whatever it was. I don't even recall, but I go back to camp. As I get back to camp, there's a big boar grizzly, um, probably a half mile away, but he's walking right at the teepee. And I thought, Oh man, he's gonna, he's going to come right to the teepee and he's going to find our food. And because if we're not there, he's going to demolish the camp yeah. and eat all the food. That's just what he's going to do. That's what they do. And so I was like, I better stay here. So then he comes, I can scare him away. Long story short, and oddly enough, he can walk in any direction, right? I mean, this is this this is a huge millions of acres of just rolling tundra forest. He can go any direction, and he's walking right at my teepee. And he ends up going down in this ravine. I lose him. I'm like, oh well, maybe when he got down the ravine, he went either up the river or down the river. 
Sure enough, he pops out on my side, starts coming right up the hill, right to the teepee. So I stand up and I yell to him, hey, bear, what's going on? Just want to <laughs> scare him away. He pops up on his hind legs, looks at me, drops down and just comes. Just starts galloping. He's not charging, but it's a significant gallop right up the hill towards me. So I'm just like, I keep yelling, I keep yelling, but he's just coming. The wind was going from my left towards to my right, left to right, and he's running right at me. So I ran right at him. And because I knew once I got down next to him, he would get my wind. I ran in his direction, not right at him. I ran in yeah. his direction. And all I knew I had to do was break the plane of him getting my wind, and he would hopefully run away. And he did. But <laughs> that that was nerve-wracking. Donnie Vincent plays chicken with a bear <laughs> and loses. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Uh. So, I mean, we have things like that, but almost always um, they run away. Yeah. Almost. That's just uh, fart, fart in the wind. save your life save your life every time uh yeah so it's always an adventure though for sure yeah so so is that the closest thing you've had to one charging you guys on uh, an event like that no 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 we had to shoot one um two years ago we had to shoot we're actually hunting grizzly bears Mm -hmm. um we were out of unicleat um in northwest alaska uh, basically on the, another big tundra area up, up way up. And, um, we were hunting grizzlies and we ended up getting up on this eight foot, four inch. And I know that now, cause we, we killed them. We call them our bear. Um, but we got up on this bear and, and, um, we were going to arrow him and, and it was a long story short, but he basically came into this bush. We were right on the other side of the bush. We were waiting for him to break either right or left of the bush. He ended up coming right to the bush. And he saw me through the bush and I'm like six yards away Mm -hmm. from him. And he's staring at me through the bush and he's just curious as to what I am. But he comes out from around the bush and I'm waiting for him, like I said, to break off so I can get a good angle to zip my arrow through him. And, but as he comes around, he walks right around the bush and literally comes just right into us, right into our lap. So I come to full draw. And I'm backing up, backing up, backing up. And I lean back and I try to get. And so once my pin clears all the bushes and I'm going to put it basically that little soft spot right at the base of your throat, the thoracic inlet. Yeah. I'm going to put my arrow right down through the thoracic inlet into his, into his rib cage. And I get a clear shot and I shoot. And so my, my sight pin was clear, but your arrow sits like three inches below your sight pin. Yeah. Hide over bore. Yeah. And my arrow <laughs> drilled um, a twig. And when it did, um, he got very upset, ended up backing up, displaying, opening his mouth, drooling, hunching his back. And then he came. And when he came, um, my friend Lance, he basically, you can hear it on the video. He's like, his rifle wasn't even loaded. So you can hear him just coming. And he just swings and boom. And the bullet, the bear just drops. And we're like, whoo, okay, that was pretty intense. So we'll just take a moment. But then the bear tries to keep getting up and he ended up shooting him again and kill him. But the bullet just literally grazed his head, but it not, it was enough to knock him out. Wow. 338. I think it was really mm-hmm. that knocked out the bear. It not, it did knock him out. It, it I mean, it crumpled him. Like we thought he just yeah, drilled him, but right through. 
within a minute, like you, the bear was like already starting to move his legs and, and trying to come back to. And then when we scun him out, you know, they have this huge muscle groups on the top of their head, basically sure. like right down their hair part. And the bullet just went about a half inch down one of those muscle groups, just right through. Wow. So that was probably yeah. the closest, right? Because we actually had to shoot that bear. Yeah. But I bumped into sows with cubs really close and um, lots of opportunities to be afraid. And they've always, so far, knock on wood, they've always run the other way. Yeah. Yeah. So. Jeez. It can get exciting really fast. So do you find yourself hunting in um, like the North American region? I mean, obviously, it seems like Alaska, Alaska, Alaska. You're, yeah. It's, it's northern Canada, <clears throat> the Yukon, Northwest Territories, British Columbia, and Alaska are by far my favorite. But, I mean, even the lower 48 is – it's incredible. I'm definitely a North American junkie. Like, yeah. I don't have to go to Africa. I'm not saying that I, I never will or sure. that I'm not interested, but North America just between Canada and, and the United States is unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. You go to uh, South America or. Yep. Um, I've been to South America a couple of times, uh, fly fishing. And then one time we went down there and bow hunted for red stag in, in um, Patagonia. Nice. Yeah. Beautiful. What's, 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 what's the, um, I don't know. What's the hunt you're, you're looking forward to now? Like, what's the, I don't know. Like, it. Because last, th- last time we, when we talked on the phone, you were saying that you, um, you'd been out for like the last three months, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the, when I was talking to, uh, Casey on the phone, um, he was, he was pretty much, he was, he was saying exactly what everyone loves about you <laughs> is exactly what you were telling. He's like, yeah, I've been out for three months. I haven't killed anything mm-hmm. except for time, <laughs> time in my checkbook. <laughs> yeah, that's mm-hmm. it. That's it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and cause I mean, a lot of guys are, uh, they're, they got to get something, they got to get something. So, I mean, when you go out, when you go out for three months and you're not necessarily bringing something home, what's, what's, what's that that you're looking for? Like what's, is it? Hunting is definitely, killing is definitely not a huge aspect of my hunting. I know that sounds really silly and you know, like I'm having a, a, an internal battle with myself, but it's, it's really, it's just when I hunt, I'm, I'm looking for the right animal in the right situation. And if I don't find the right animal in the right situation, I'm not just going to kill anything just to, you know, punch my ticket. So, um, it's not that uncommon for me to spend a lot of time in different areas and, and kind of come home with quote unquote, nothing, but I'm always coming home with, you know, a renewed, a renewed vision and, and, uh, uh, renewed lust for life, you know, and it's just always have incredible experiences when I'm there. So it's definitely not coming home empty handed, but yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm very particular in the animals that I, that I will actually, I think hunters, you know, like, um, it's just a big decision. Like when you're going to kill an animal, it's a, it's a really big decision and, and, uh, and it should be the right animal in the, in the right situation, I think. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Like it, it, it's funny you say that because I feel like there are a lot of people <clears throat> that go out for so many different reasons. I mean, you have the, the stigma that's attached to a lot of hunters, uh, which is just straight trophy hunting. Like mm-hmm. you get like the, 
yeah, I hate like you know, the, there's always some, maybe not always, but there's some kind of truth to stereotypes in. Of and, course. And, I mean, that's why like, they, that's why they somewhat work. But, um, I, I hate that, that stigma that's attached to the hunting when it comes to like the redneck who's, you know, just driving down the road, shooting from his truck and, uh, and just cutting the deer's head off, leaving it you know, on the yeah. side of the road and then taking the, the head, yeah. um, or just taking the rack. Yeah. Um, but I feel like so many other people get into it obviously for so many other different reasons. And one of the things that's really, uh, appealing to me, to me is the physical challenge, uh, behind it and more so archery, um, because the, the, the amount of skill that you're having to be able to close in on the distance, whereas rifle, I love, I love rifle hunting and there's nothing, nothing wrong with it, but no, no. I, 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 I did that a lot. I, I haven't here recently, but I really like to get into to archery just because of that, the physical as, aspect of it. But then there's also the food. <laughs> I feel like I just want to fill the fridge yeah. so bad because all the crap that, that I'm, I'm constantly eating. I feel like I feel like the the sportsman kind of lifestyle forces me to be in um, somewhat of a healthier lifestyle because For sure. because um, like like the the CrossFit guys and everything. Whenever you go in there, it's like functional fitness. You know, you you train for you train for a purpose. And, train but, for life. Yeah, but there's a truth to that, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you you're going to the gym, if you're you know like being in Southern California and everything, you got a lot of guys who will go to the gym solely for aesthetic reasons. Like I and and that that in itself is a sport, right? Like bodybuilding and everything. Like you know, I love watching Pumping Iron here and Arnold talk about how he's like <laughs> he's like a Michelangelo and like sculpting his his muscle groups you know proportionally like oh look at you you're all uh you're like uh, uh, not symmetrical and all this other stuff. that's a horrible arnold impression but uh so but this in the same sense like the like just going and running on the treadmill and stuff like that it's not it's not really that appealing to me but if i'm going and i'm cranking out like five five miles or something like that 10 miles and then i know that i'm going to go out on a hunt and 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 it's going to be in the mountains or whatever it's going to be at elevation and i know that that's going to be applicable so i'm not gassed yeah and um and 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 then also drawing i mean the physical aspect behind it packing out your meat like you're talking about mm-hmm. you guys go out with you know the the couple hundred pounds of your pack but then you kill an elk so you're you're having to pack that out and it just really doesn't cut it if you're out of shape so no. i like the i like the challenge um the skill side of it i mean there's so many different facets of it that that's appealing to me but um it, so far as the hunts that you've been doing here recently what have you been going out for that? Like, was it, was it elk that you were going for? Or what was it? Um, or earlier this year, I was, um, my longest one this year, I was in Alaska actually hunting brown bears on the Alaska peninsula. Um, and then I was in Western North Dakota hunting, uh, hunting whitetail deer. I basically, I spent a lot of time in those two places just because there, there's a couple of stories that I want to develop in those areas. And, and so I just wanted to uh, spend more time there. And, and, uh, and like I mentioned before, when I'm, when I'm there longer, I, I seem to see more and seem to have better experiences. So I want to dedicate some time to those, those places, but there, you know, it's the physicality of it is definitely super appealing and something that, you know, you want, you definitely want to train for and, and you're going to have a much better time if your fitness is there 
than than if it's not. I mean, you're going to be miserable by the time we, you know, by the time the airplane lands and you pack your gear to camp and you set camp up. I mean, you're you're already going to be out of gas if 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 you're, you know, and everyone has the gusto to go a day because you're there, it's new, you're excited. You push through one day, maybe you push through the second day, but after the pain of the first and second day catch up with you, yeah, that's when a lot of people start to like really question as to why they're there and, if, and why they want to continue this. But if you have the fitness and you have more so than anything, the mental fortitude, right? No, even if, even if you're a little overweight or, or you maybe didn't make it to the gym as much as you'd hoped this last year, like you have that mental fortitude to take one more step. Sure. It's really just one more step. It's all you have to do. Keep your pack a reasonable weight and be willing to take one more step. And, and, um, and when you find success, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's See, really, that should be, really that, amazing. That should be a shirt. You should, you should make one of those shirts. <laughs> it just has like one more step, one more step, one more step. That's it. Cause that's everyone can do one more step. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. And that's, and that's a whole aspect of, um, hunting for me is going to the, the amazing wild places, which can be your backyard. That's, you know, you don't have to go halfway around the country. There's so much adventure in people's yards. They don't even know it. And, um, and they're just going to the aspects of participating and, and wildlife and participating and getting my food and having better food for myself and my family and knowing where it came from, investing calories and, and, uh, and my time to get it. And it's just terribly rewarding. Yeah. yeah. Well, you say you you made a, a comment to me about when we were talking about gear and everything and, and the different materials and stuff and talking about my uh, poly blends and how I like I just like hate the smell of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, I get the I get like, you know, the <laughs> merino wool or whatever. I can I'll wear that 30 days and you won't be able to. So wh- how how long do you how long do you go out on these on these trips? Because you're saying you're saying two days it starts catching up with you. How long are you out there for then? A like, long one is, I mean, average is probably long enough to scare a bear away. <laughs> long enough to scare, to <laughs> stink a bear out. Wind and he's to, gone. to smell like a goat. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, a long, a short one is eight, nine, 10 days. Long one is 25, 30 days. I mean, after 25 or 30 days, it's, you definitely figure out who you are in a yeah. hurry, right? Getting up every single morning, um, getting up, you're, you're generally laying down, pulling your pants on. Um, you're wearing essentially the same clothes every day. You wear like on a 30 day trip, I'll bring two pairs of underwear Yeah, and I'll switch them out when I remember every four or five days. And, and, um, you basically, you know, you're pulling your clothes on your hair gets so greasy. It starts to look clean after 10 days. And, uh, you have enough dandruff to where you can have your own little snow globe village uh, on your pillow. And um, it's just all this stuff starts to add up and you're hungry and you're burning more calories than you're putting in. And and so it just starts to like, if you let it, it starts to wear on you pretty heavy. But for me, I don't even, I, maybe my head's broken, but the longer I'm there, I just, I kind of relish in that pain. You know, yeah. it's kind of like the, like, us filming this um, for Revenant right now, you know, we were talking about filming that movie and how painful um, the actors and, and the, the filmmakers and the photographers and the videographers, all the pain that they had to go through to film this movie. Yeah. I'm like, that's really cool. 
And it, it is, if you have that, you know, a lot of people, if, if they're out there, a lot of people are saying, Oh, I'm here for 10 more days. I have 10 more days. I have 10 more days. And I'm sitting there telling myself, I only have 10 more days. I yeah. only have 10 days. Left. Life is 110% all about perspective. Yeah. It's only all about, left. yeah, it's yeah. all about, per- if you can, if you can find a way to switch the, it's kind of cliche, the whole glass half full, half empty thing, but there, there's other ways to apply um, a crappy situation and spin it into a positive. I found if you can push through that stuff and just, it's, just find that perspective, it actually gives you that extra boost of mm-hmm. whatever it is you need to kind of like get through. I know it sounds hokey and everything, but no. it's so true. It's so it, true. It, it, it may sound, um, it may sound hokey to those that are struggling with that perspective, but it it's really is. And you have to remind yourself, nobody's, nobody's a golden boy at it. Everybody gets in their own head. Everyone gets down. I mean, that's, that's the way it goes. I, I take my dad who's in his mid seventies hunting all the time and he's awesome guy and a terrible hunter, horrendous <laughs> hunter, but he's an awesome guy. And every time I take him out, I'm like, dad, I feel, and I'm honest with him. I'm like, I feel really good. And he very rarely kills a deer. But I said, I, I feel really good about tonight. Like I feel really, really good. And he, he looks at me, he's like, you say that every single time we go hunting. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I do. And it's, I'm starting to look like a liar, but I really do feel really good about, yeah. you know, and, um, I love being out there. It does start to, the only thing that really kind of gets in my head, um, sometimes the mosquitoes, depending on where we are. Yeah. Can, um, where are you going for 30 days? It's almost always in the North country. I mean, I'm starting to, it's, it's, I want to see other places. I want to spend time in the desert. I want to spend time in the Southwest. I want to spend time in the Pacific Northwest, South of Canada. But whenever I have um, a little bit of time and I want to go film someplace, I just always seem to be running up North. I, yeah. I just always seem to go that direction. And, and, um, and I like, you know, I like the colder temperatures and, and I like really it's, it's about the um, sheep, sheep hunting like doll sheep stone sheep bighorn sheep moose caribou grizzlies these are the things i just really love to hunt so and that's where they live but you know sometimes we run into rain for 10 or 15 days that can hammer your your mental fortitude and then sometimes the bugs bugs can bugs can shut anybody down yeah that's what i was gonna say i don't think i could take 30 days of mosquitoes oh you should i mean some of the grizzly footage that we have when we're up hunting grizzlies and literally um at night we had to at night you're in your pup tent it sounds like it's pouring rain outside it's just mosquitoes trying to get in really like we we uh before you go to bed like you're doing your last pee before you Mm -hmm. crawl in the tent at night and you have to jog in a circle to pee so you stop start peeing and then you have to start jogging because otherwise so many mosquitoes are going to land on your really yeah yep tricks of the trade tricks of the trade (laughs) i mean it's really really bad yeah. How do you, is that something that you just learned? Like, did you were like, oh, okay, this is what we're going to do. Just going to run around. Or did somebody like, <laughs> did you, did you acquire that knowledge from somebody else? Or just like, Hey Donnie, just FYI, if you got to piss it, <laughs> jog, night, around, just jog, jog around, around. <laughs> jog around. Um, no, I, I worked as a research biologist in Alaska for several years. And the place that I worked was like, biblical in mosquitoes. Basically mm. I, I would spend an entire summer, three to five months, um, and in an area that was 
thousands and thousands and thousands of little tiny ponds from the size of a swimming pool up to like, you know, a duck hunting pond or a small lake. And uh, in the summertime is, whoa, hammered you bad. So you, you bring that up. Um, yeah. I, I don't think like, I didn't know this about you. I mean, do you, do you, do you like, do you talk about this in your videos or anything? Like no, you're, no, you're... not, not, not that, not that, not that often. I mean, sometimes people ask me about it, but I don't have a PhD, so I don't like to really claim that, um, I'm contributing to science. I just worked as, I just, I started to, um, I got a biology degree and I started to work as a uh, field biologist and I just excelled at it. And I'll be honest with you, it's, I excelled at it as much or more from my hunting prowess than I did from my degree because not only did they want somebody with the biological base knowledge to go into these areas and, and um, observe these animals, but it started to be far more important to like the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. It started to be far more important to these guys that they could drop me off for five months and they could pick me up at the end of five months and I wasn't going to be dead and I wasn't <laughs> going to be calling them in two weeks wanting to leave. And, um, you know, that, that's as important as getting the work done. But, um, what yeah. do you study when you, you go out? Um, I've done, um, I've done a couple of different studies. I studied, uh, Bengal tigers in, in both Nepal and Bangladesh, uh, in Bangladesh, we were estimating populations. Uh, we were doing something called basically like a, it's called a line transect study. We're going down these millions and millions and millions of miles of canals in the Sunderbonds, which is the world's largest mangrove swamp, mm-hmm. um, just north of the Bay of Bengal. And every time we could see a tiger track, they call them pog marks. Every time we saw a pog mark crossing the canal, that would be an event. And so we'd keep driving down the canal in like these little boats that look like gondolas. We'd see another pog mark. That's another event. So you count all of these events, and then it goes into an equation. And that equation takes in some variance for um for them being multiple tigers making the same tracks to overlap and different things and and can give you some idea of a population of an area and so we did that there and then in nepal we had tigers that were radio collared we would actually ride elephants it was really cool i got to take an elephant to work every day (laughs) and so i literally when when i got i didn't even know what the study was that i um i mean i i knew what the study was that I was doing, but I didn't know the tools that we were going to utilize to. And so I, I arrived in Kathmandu very late, got down to uh, the Royal Chitwan National Forest very, very late, at, in, actually early in the morning. And um, I slept in this tent. And at the end of the tent, there's like 15 stairs and a platform that just ended. And I remember I was walking to my tent. I was half asleep, but I, I looked at it. I was like, huh, I wonder, wonder what they're building there. But that's how I got on my elephant every morning. Oh, I'd yeah. Go up and hop on the platform, and an elephant would come, and they're like, Mr. Vincent, your elephant's ready. And I had a driver, and I'd just hop on this elephant because the grass is like 15 feet tall. Oh, okay. I was, so, was going to ask. I didn't want to. And the tigers will kill you, right? They're very, they're very accustomed to eating people there. Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to tell you that they, they kill and eat everyone. There's blood in the streets, but you if, guys, they, if they see you and they have an opportunity, they're going to kill you. Did they have like any estimates as far as like man eating? Yeah. Lots. Really? Lots of people are killed and eaten there. Yeah. There's basically three main um, people that get killed there. There's um, woodcutters, which are the people going out getting like the big fronds for their homes, the, the for the thatched roofs. They go and cut the leaves and then honey collectors. Um, these guys, they drive down the canals in these boats and they, until they see honeybees and they drop out younger kids that can run 
and they'll basically follow the bees back to the hive and then cut the honeycomb out and bring it out so they can bring it to the marketplace. Those kids get eaten as they're running through the jungle. And then fishermen, um, fishermen get killed as well. Do they, are, are they waiting when they fish or are they, they out on like, like skiffs? Or? Sometimes they get on shore, but, um, but they're actually, there's, uh, you know, tigers are really, really good at swimming. And there's actually been a few reports of tigers actually going out to boats and, and, uh, harassing no. fishermen. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Really? Yeah. Dude, I, I would have to think that if I saw a, t- a, a Bengal tiger swimming out to me while I'm fishing, I'd be like, well, Bill, uh, <laughs> it's time to start paddling. Reel it in. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, it's um, they're, they're really fantastic animals. In fact, like I'd been around bears a lot or some, and so I wasn't – I was aware of being around these big predators, but I asked the professor that I worked with, his name's Dr. David Smith. I was like, Dave, like what do I do if I see a tiger? He's like, oh, just – take it all in and appreciate it because you're gonna die <laughs> so i was waiting for him to give me like a little tip and a trick yeah just soak it in yeah he's like soak no, it in he wants to put down like the honeycomb <laughs> and the fish <laughs> and, then, like, and then run yeah oh. um so yeah he's just like you're um if he wants to kill you you're in big big trouble i'm completely ignorant when it comes to um them far as uh cats and preventative mm-hmm. measures like so when you're out in alaska you would i i would assume have uh bear mace uh bear spray mm-hmm. uh though you do from what i hear tend to forget it a mm-hmm. lot but mm-hmm. um i'm getting better is I'm, it, I'm getting better now that other people's lives are at stake too i when i used to just go by myself i'd bring nothing but now that there's other guys with me last year i did bring a gun for the first time oh yeah yeah Brought a 12-gauge slug on, which I did feel better having in a camp. Like, I didn't, I never had a problem sleeping or anything like that. In fact, I had a bear one time tear a hole in my tent and come in and stand on my cot. And I, I never even woke up. My buddy that I was with woke me up as he grabbed another friend of ours. I think it was a 9-millimeter. Went outside and then killed the bear right outside the tent. But a 9-millimeter. Yeah, I think it was a 9-millimeter. I was going to say, you're, you're going to settle the... The nine millimeter forty five debate, right? Oh, is there, there a debate? Between ah, everybody, like, it's so funny. What's like, better? Yeah, everybody is all oh, stopping power. It's like, I, it's so funny. I, I know that there's gonna be a, a few guys that might be like, hey, don't, don't, don't make fun of people trying to, trying to figure out what's the most <laughs> effective firearm. I know, I know. Like, uh, I'm not trying to hinder people's ability to figure out what's, what's effective and what's, <laughs> what's inferior or whatever. It's just, I love how passionate people get about certain things it's like okay well i mean i mean do some of your own testing and stuff like that don't get me wrong not everybody has the money to to buy uh two blocks of ballistics gel or make their own and everything or maybe the wherewithal to to understand what's happening with the the cavitation or the and 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 the rounds and everything but (laughs) anyways nonetheless uh nine millimeter 45 is one of those big topics a lot of people like going back and forth on um but um yeah, well, I, whichever caliber it was, it worked. It wasn't a big bear. Yeah. Um, in fact, I teased my buddy. I was like, oh, that's great. You shot a baby bear. But it was yeah, probably 175-pound <laughs> bear or something like yeah. that. But, yeah, he killed it dead. Well, so so are there any types of uh, precautionary measures that you can take far as the tigers are concerned? Or you just wear garlic and yeah. they're, like, they're like, nope. Carry a mirror because they can't see themselves in mirrors. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. No, I mean, it's literally, I mean, we had, this is going to sound so silly, but we, all of the boats that we were on had machine guns. And um, then we had armed guards everywhere we went, not for tigers at all, but because there's a lot of pirates 
Really? Of, uh, yeah, there's a huge amount of pirates. Not a huge amount, but there's like a, f- a fair amount of, of enough pirates. where it's, yeah. it's warranted. Yeah, I mean, they had, I don't know guns very well, but I think they had like, you know, like one of those turret machine guns, like you'd really? see on like a Coast Guard, uh, was mounted on the front of our boat. Wow. Yeah, so I mean that had to be a relatively big gun, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of lot of different um, machine guns that you can you mount off of that. I mean, it'd be like the uh, the big 50 caliber M2s yeah. to, um, I mean, like you could have a minigun mounted yeah. on there if you wanted. <laughs> I yeah. doubt that they would be spending the money of yeah, yeah, having yeah. that that much ammunition on the boat. <laughs> yeah. They all, yeah all to protect fish and honey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like. Yeah. But it, it's it was it yeah they they definitely um have some incidents of people boarding boats and taking what you have and then uh, kidnap for ransom I think is pretty really clear. yeah wow kidnap for ransom murder kind of thing so, so is that there. pretty much the 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 most short of nature one of the more hazardous like areas that you'd have to go into hundred percent hundred percent I mean that was. You know, and I was such a newbie being there. Of course, I'd never been there before. But even, you know, we'd go in the jungle and we'd come out and and I was washing my feet in the ocean off the side of the boat. And the ocean there is, it's a, because it's a mangrove swamp, it basically, the water looks like chocolate milk, right? You can't see anything. So I'm washing my feet off in the other biologist that I'm with. Um, I can't recall his name right now for some reason, but um, he's like, I, I don't wash your feet so, so long because there's a lot of saltwater crocodiles here. And, um, and then there's a pretty good population of, of sharks in this area too. So don't, just don't wash your feet as long. And, you know, and then it's just a series of islands and all the islands are, have cobras on them and, and spiders that are poisonous. And it's really? just a, you know, it's just a natural jungle, but it's a really lots of biodiversity there. And then of course, throwing the time. Do they keep any venom and stuff like that? Like, no, really? No, oh no. I was, I mean, we were in the middle of nowhere. Right. I yeah. mean, yeah, I was certainly the only white guy and everyone we ran into, I was the only white guy they had ever seen in their lives or probably was going to see in their lives. So if you get bit or anything like that, it's done. just like, you're done, done game over. I feel like, like, <laughs> And it's so funny because I feel like you're you're uh, you're taking a lot of risks. <laughs> it's like I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, like you go out hunting and everything. There's always it's always, I mean, there's always the chance you can be that guy who douses himself and and estrus and ends up getting mangled by a buck. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the most part, when you go out, there's like us, like the big thing that we'd watch out for, uh, in, in Tennessee and like Georgia and stuff like that is, you know, snakes, you, yeah. uh, you get into some of the, the wetland areas and stuff like that. You're watching out for like copperheads and mm-hmm. cotton mouse, water moccasins, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, just the really aggressive snakes don't have a whole lot of spiders. I mean, we have brown recluses yeah. and black widows here and there, but, uh, for me, it's never really been that big of a problem. But when you start throwing into, uh, the equation things like, Oh, there's Cobras here and Bengal tigers there. Mm-hmm. You get in Australia and it's like, everything's there to kill you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I, I, I wouldn't even know, uh, how to wrap my head around that. Yeah. Because especially if you're, you're going out into these locations, uh, I don't n- necessarily know, like, cause I, I hunt or I spend a lot of time in the woods in those areas growing up. I kind of know what to look for. Right. I know, yeah. I know what, what, 
what to be prepared for. So Where they live. Having, even if it's not having an anti-venom, uh, being in Southern California or something like that, the rattlesnakes, right? Rattlesnakes, If a, like I've seen so many coyotes like kicking distance from yeah. me. I'm not really worried about yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're yeah. so so small compared to the coyotes in Tennessee. Sure. Like the, and, and then I'm sure as soon as you get up, like what you're talking about, Alaska, where those, those dudes are eaten fairly regularly. I mean, they get pretty big where it becomes a concern, but uh, I'm, I'm fairly familiar with my environment. Yeah, but yeah. how do you do, do, do you, do you do any, like, I mean, I know you, you're with your background and everything. You do like research before? Oh yeah. yeah. Like, like, like I, what's, what's the process for you on that? It's like, cause well, a, a lot of guys will be like, Oh, I'm just going to go hunt and I'll, I'll get a guide to help me out. But when you're going out there for like 10, 30 days, I mean, that's, that's, and then you're, you're uh, a day away from a plane coming and picking you up. That's, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, I feel like I'm like somebody's mom on their shoulder going, <laughs> now be careful, Jimmy, you know? Well, you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, when you and Dave are telling me about wingsuiting, you know, when you guys jump out of it, I think you were saying when you, when you parachute, you know, you go through your jump and everything, but you're just kind of chill and going through your jump. But when you guys are wearing your wingsuits, you're ultra aware. Yeah. And so anytime we go into these areas that have increased dangers either by floating a river, rapids, um, uh, you know, uh, obstacles in the river, big bears, cats, whatever, snakes. You just learn as much as you can of, of um, what to look for. Research people that have been there before because, you know, I'm, I'm not a... I'm not a pioneer. I'm not doing things that people haven't done before. And, um, I gladly follow in their footsteps because, you know, I've read their tales or heard their fantastic stories and want to experience the same things they did. So, um, I have no problems being a follower in that regard, but just being ultra aware, just like when you guys are wearing your wingsuits, the same, same kind of thing. And then we have this little saying, I didn't make it up. A buddy of mine told it to me one time, but we have this little saying where we say two is one and one is none. So if you have two of something, you know, plan on one of those breaking. So you're down to one. And if you have one of something, plan of that thing failing and you're going to be um, out of luck. And so, you know, we have our, I'll give you a for instance. So we have our tent, right? So what what do we do if our tent fails? Because if, if your tent fails where we go and it starts to pour rain for 10 days, you know, very real um, chance of you passing away by hypothermia before before help comes and so we have our rain gear we bring really high quality rain gear and that's almost like our backup tent so if our tent fails we can always wear a rain gear and sit underneath some um, pine trees and if we get cold do jumping jacks or push-ups or whatever to kind of sustain that energy level you know we bring down sleeping bags that's what we sleep in um, but if for some reason our when when down gets wet it doesn't insulate any longer so our backup to our down sleeping bags, we actually bring a, a down system jacket and pants that we wear when we get cold if we're glassing or or we've just killed an animal and we're gonna be stationary in one spot cutting it up or something like that. You wear your down. Where your down is like your backup sleeping bag, right? We bring backpacking stoves to heat our water. Um, but then we also have this tin stove that we have in the middle of the teepee uh, that also can back up as heating up our water if we have to drink water that has parasites in or anything like that. We have to heat it up to kill them. And, um, so we just kind of try to cover multiple bases, right? And try to have, um, you know, two knives in camp, try to have several ways to start fire in camp, several ways to stay dry and, and try to research um, wild plants and things like that. You can eat, you know, anything from blueberries to, 
you know, wild potato or whatever. So it's just trying to be just like you guys in wingsuits, just ultra aware. Yeah, but when uh, we we learned to wingsuit, we did it one time. And when we, <laughs> we, we go out, there might be little variations and and stuff that changes up. But, I mean, I feel like learning an ecosystem every time you go out. There are two like, parachutes, though. There's yeah. one and then a backup. That's true. So we you have do, one. You do always have a backup? Yeah, yeah, we have a reserve. So we do have one. So we have yeah, two technical. of one. Yeah. We have two of one. I never want to use a reserve. No. Do you hit the ground harder than a reserve? Is it smaller? Uh, it is smaller, but it's a different type of... Shape? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, we, like... I don't know. I can't speak. It's smaller, but you stop just the same. As same parachute. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, I can't speak for Dave, but, um, I, you know, everyone talks about like, they're like, so when are you going to downsize your canopy and, and why would you do that to go faster? Well, yeah. Cause like, it, like, so everyone, everyone has different things that they like in the different aerial sports. I guess you could say some people like, um, you know, head down or free flying, sit flying and all that. Some people like belly and relative work where they're spinning and doing sure. formations and points and stuff. Some people like us like wingsuiting. Um, and then there's, there's a lot of guys who like high performance canopy stuff where uh, the, the canopies are a little bit smaller, but they're faster. They can get going towards the ground a little bit faster and then flatten the, uh, the canopy out and glide mm -hmm. across the ground or swoop. And uh, for me, I'm absolutely terrified of canopies because I know that the bulk majority of the stuff that goes wrong with people is ignorance under canopy or some type of miscalculation or uh, not compensating for. And so I like, I like doing what we do wingsuiting and get the fuck on the ground because that's like, you never know what the air is going to do. I don't know. I guess I'm like, everyone seems to think I'm like this adrenaline junkie. And like, mm -hmm. I'm like, I am a sissy man. Like I just, <laughs> I, I want to have fun, but I like, I'm, I'm flying a school bus. Like I, I weigh 210 pounds and most people like 210 pounds will probably fly a 150 canopy. I jump a 190. Um, and I, I honestly don't think I'll go down yeah. in size just because it suits me. It works. And I just feel like I, I don't think it's necessary. Uh, Dan BC, I should probably do a podcast with him. Um, he, he, um, he said it really, really well. Um, Jeb Corliss is probably one of the more, uh, recognizable names when it comes to wingsuiting. And, um, he was asking him one day, uh, they were doing this, this formation, this, uh, wingsuit formation. And, uh, they were going for like a record or something along those lines. And he asked Jeb, he's like, Hey, are you getting in on the, the, the record? He's like, no, man. He's like, that shit's crazy. <laughs> and he's like, he, he proximity flies mountains yeah. and stuff like that. Base jumping where yeah. you only have one canopy. Yeah. But it's all about the risks that you're oh, willing. Oh, when you base jump, you only have one? Yes. Yeah, because you, it, it's so low that you don't have enough time to pull oh, a reserve. Right. Yeah. Uh, and generally, so if I were to jump a base canopy, uh, I'm sure a lot of people will argue with me on this and everything. But if I were to jump a base canopy, it'd probably be one of the largest ones that they, they do because I'm 
a, a fairly big dude. Uh, but I'd probably be somewhere like a 290 or a 310 or something like that. Sure. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a school bus. This thing's wanting to pressurize, but, um, it's about the risks that you're willing to take. And you can, if you're willing to take them to a certain extent, then that motivates you to, I don't know, in some ways overcompensate, um, in the, in the event that something does go wrong. It's, it's something about the confidence, uh, of, of wanting to do something versus the, um, someone being reserved and and just kind of hesitant you second guessing yourself where you have fractions of a second to make life and death Mm -hmm. decisions Mm -hmm. it's just not it's not a good thing Mm -hmm. so if you if you feel like base jumping and you're in control of of this thing you're packing your parachute you're the one who did it you're the one who's calculating uh seeing if the wind is good enough for exit um what your flight plan is going to be if you feel like all of that can can be in that control where you you just you're confident enough to go out and do it then then that might be a risk you're willing to take but some people are like no i want to be at a safe enough altitude where i can pull my reserve if need be but i have no problem flying with 60 other people in close proximity like ten thousand feet above the ground uh but then again some people like me like in in dave i mean like we, we were talking about earlier I, I, for me, this is just me again, nothing against people who, who like doing, uh, formations and stuff like that. But I like, I like doing stupid stuff with like max five or 10 of my closest friends. And we go out and we kill it. We have a good time. We'll flip each other around. We'll like grab onto each other, do stupid stuff. Like somebody will be flying. We'll fly up on their back and grab a hold of them and fling them and stuff like that. And just have a good time. But like, it, like it, it terrifies me where you're like, you're like you're in this formation of people who have a set plan mm-hmm. and and then it's break off time and everyone starts spreading out and then somebody's canopy doesn't go right and they have a cutaway and they cut away into somebody else and again like a lot of the a lot of the issues that people have are are with their their canopies and canopy collisions swooping and stuff like that i'd say a a really high percentage of all the skydiving related incidents i i I will 110 percent say the bulk majority of skydiving related incidents not necessarily fatalities but incidents injuries and stuff like that's going to come from canopy stuff because hard landings and and stuff like that but um seems pretty dangerous to me it, it it is but it isn't it, it's 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 really there's it's it's actually really in my opinion it's a really safe sport if you if you if you're willing to keep your i know this is crazy to say but if you're willing to keep your wits about you there's you you, you kind of have to know how you react under pressure and 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 if you can just keep your your wits about you and just not, not, not even stay calm. I mean, I feel like adrenaline and not being calm helps me be hyper aware, mm-hmm. but not to the point where I shut down, but to the point where I'm, I'm cognizant and I'm making calculated decisions. Um, and I think it's, I think it's extremely safe. I mean, like I say, we're flying school bus parachutes. Yeah. They're really big. We have fairly large reserves. Um, I think our reserves are one seventies. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, I think we you, have one. You both fly the same shoots. Yeah, yeah, we have the same rig, same rig, and everything. Um, but uh, I, I, I just think it's extremely safe. I mean, the technology in the last twenty years has it, 
think of it as computers. I think that's a really good analogy. Oh, sure. Look at a computer 20 years ago to a computer now. Mm-hmm. It's just the the technology in the AADs, the thing it, it measures your fall rate. Mm-hmm. And so if you're still in free fall at a specific altitude, it automatically deploys your reserve. Um, different things like that. Um, I, I feel like the, the, the style of canopies, the way that they, the Ram air, like just sucks in and just stabilizes everything. It's, it's, it's relatively safe if you're willing to not freak out. If you're one of those guys where when the bear's charging you, yeah. you turn around and you run, then <laughs> that's, that's going to be a shit situation, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so if you're able to, I, I guess the other side with downsizing is that you have more control of the canopy. So if you're going to collide with another person, you have the ability to turn quicker and sure. avoid the obstacles or avoid whatever you need to do. Whereas with the 190, you're kind of cruising and you can turn, but it's it's, it's, a, turn sc- it's a school bus versus yeah. a Formula One car. Yes. Yeah. But I, I'll say this too. Yes. There, like there, there's always. I, I, I feel weird saying anything ever definitively because there's always there's it's it's such a sliding sliding curve, um, so the higher higher performance canopies have more forward speed, so in so if there is some type of turbulence or something like that, like uh, not 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 as like a dust devil, but if there's you know just thermals and stuff like sure. that, a higher performance canopy is going to cut through that wind and it's going to fly better than the school buses that we fly. Like I, when I first started jumping out, we were jumping two thirties and two tens. And when I did this, um, this, uh, halo thing, um, we were jumping the military MC five rigs. And those dudes are like, what were they? Were they, were they two eighties? Yeah. They were really big. They're really That's big. That's like the big, huge there. No, it's a Ram air. It's a Ram, Ram air canopy, okay. but it's, it's meant so that you could carry a ruck. So it's oh. compensating for the extra weight. Yeah. And, and w- there was a crazy win like they, cause I was just an a license. Was I a license? Yeah, I was a license mm-hmm. doing that. Totally. Uh, but they were like, mm, I don't know if you want to jump because it's 15 mile per hour winds. And, that's where they cut off students, but I was a licensed jumper at the time, but I was like, yeah, no, 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 we got to get the shot. We got to get the shot. And that, I mean, it worked out that time, but, um, when, whenever I'd land, it dragged, it yeah. dragged me. Like I have, I have so much he fabric. landed and then took back off and then landed <laughs> yes. again. And well, then how, them across the field. So, so some of the, some of the guys, some of the guys, <laughs> here in we these, go. Is some of the guys in these canopies, they're so big that if a thermal or a big gust of wind hits, it'll lift you back up because there's so much fabric. I mean, you just have just enough weight right there to keep the canopy stable and everything. But as uh, soon as I, I landed, uh, I, I hit the ground and my, my boots are touching. And then all of a sudden it lifts me back up and then just starts dragging me backwards <laughs> and everything. And because it was going closer to the runway, I didn't want to cut away and just launch the yeah. the the canopy out to it. But in, in that situation, that's that's what you do. You'll take Dumping. and you you'll you'll pull your uh, RSL, which is uh, the the thing that will um, when you pull that out, it does your three ring release and it and it deploys your reserve. So whenever you take and you pop that off and you cut away. Uh, it doesn't deploy your reserve. It just releases oh, the canopy. Right. Yeah. And, um, and that, that's so if you're on the ground and you're getting drug, you can pop that out and still save your, your reserve and everything. But, um, I don't know. I, I think it's relatively safe. Yeah. Uh, all things considered, 
Uh, I feel like, and, and this is just my opinion, but I feel like certain sports are actually a little bit more dangerous, especially when it comes to head trauma and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, you'll, you'll twist an ankle, you might break a leg or something like that. Um, but it's not that common. It, it's really not. It's, it's beginners who aren't very confident or, you know, they get a bad roll of the dice when it comes to the win, but or, or overconfident, overconfident. Yes. But there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really good drop zones out there. We're really good instructors. And I feel like, I feel like if somebody wanted to get into it, but then again, it's not cheap. It's, 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 mm. it's really expensive. Jumping. It is. It's, uh, it, and, and don't get me wrong. You, when you, the, the cool thing that I like about it is when you go, the, the people there, it's everyone kind of has their suits on or their gear, their helmets and everything. And you never really know what that person does. They could be, they could be uh, a drop zone bum. They can be a doctor. Yeah. And everybody is just cool. It's just like you, you check kind of the, the status at the door, you have a good time. Um, and you jump with the people sure. that you have a good time. You have that commonality. Yeah. yeah. It's great. Yeah. It's great. No, so totally you should do that. it sometime. I'm sure I will. I'm sure I'll do it with you guys. Sometime. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, we'll jump, we'll jump into, uh, we'll be, jump into tiger territory. I'd love to do the, uh, uh, point break jump and just talk, <laughs> talk while we fall. And one of us can have a revolver. You know what? You could probably pull off uh, a Keanu impression. Oh yeah. 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 You could yeah. probably pull it off. Yeah, I could see yeah. that. An old, old, hips hurt knees hurt version of Keanu oh <laughs> although he was Johnny Utah his knee was sore in that movie yeah it's true yeah wait how old do you think uh Keanu is I don't know uh, maybe he's my age yeah I'd think say so I would say yeah I mean he's got to be devil. he's got to be well in his 40s I mean this is one of the first podcasts <laughs> I don't have the computer hooked up to to the TriCaster and everything, yeah, fine. but yeah. Uh, but for the sake of it, um, he's actually been doing some. Uh, he, what I love about certain actors is <laughs> like they they actually do the work whenever it comes to um, going in and getting training and stuff sure, like that. Sure, sure, sure. And uh, I don't know if you saw John Wick. No, but like a lot of guys I don't know some of the guys will probably reach out to me after this and be like oh he did this or he did this that was wrong but if you watch John Wick he trained with uh Taron Butler and oh dude I love it I love watching John Wick because he just kills it man his shooting style and everything it's just it's so much fun to watch well you mean people will correct him like people write you in, in yeah again again it's the nine millimeter 45 debate a oh. lot of people a lot of people debate different uh, shooting techniques yeah. and styles and stuff like that um but but yeah i mean he he just started going back to Taryn, getting some training and everything for john wick too and will smith i think came out for um I forget what the what's the one with the Joker in them that they're doing or what what is that one the, Sui sure. the Suicide Squad or whatever sure uh, yeah but um, that that's that's gonna be awesome I can't wait to see what those guys do it's probably the best part of being an actor yeah getting, the, getting to learn all these little side tr training and things you don't need yeah. <laughs> <laughs> much so, like uh, much like running through the forest the last two days yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was great. That was a good time, though. So, I, so I want to, I want to hear a little more about that, uh, the, the, um, the science stuff, because 
So you did that. You did that in Alaska. Right? Yeah. Well, and I did the tiger things, and then I went up to Alaska, accepted a job at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, and did um, what is called the fecundity study on salmon. Basically, it's counting salmon, the, uh, a particular return to a river, counting them, speciating them, and taking genetic samples, which then go into a database. We put them in a database, and then they can be matched up. You know, salmon is. Uh, economically a huge animal for Alaska, for the United States. You know, there's a lot of money um, going around with both commercially caught fish and sport caught fish and, um, and then just general tourism around them. And, and uh, so essentially we, we could match up, we could figure out between commercial fish that were getting caught in the ocean, they could start to build a database of where these fish matching their genetic alleles, they could create a database and figure out where these fish that they're catching and killing in the ocean, what rivers that they were going to go and spawn in. Really? Mm -hmm. And so literally Alaska's, uh, they try to stay so on top of their fisheries that throughout, you know, like, um, in, in Oregon or Tennessee or, or in Ontario, you have fishing seasons and, Oh yeah, it opens May 5th and it closes, you know what, you know, that's a fishing season in a normal state in Alaska, they, the fishing season might close on Monday and until they get the data that they really like, they might open it on Thursday again for two or three days and then they might shut it down again for another week wow. in certain systems, depending on how the run is coming. And, uh, and so you really have to be on top of it. And of course there's a lot of the state that is open all the time in, in the, the runs are huge and, and you can fish for resident species all the time. But when you're talking about like gill netting, like the, the natives, um, the, the Indians and the Eskimos up there, gill netting fish, and then you have sport fishing. Uh, and then you have the commercial fishery out in the, out in the ocean with the big nets there. They try to be very aware of, of counting the fish and knowing where they're going to go. So what do you do when you, how do you like, do you just, real one in or you no, like going and setting you setting a, a like a cage trap or yeah we we had this structure and they have them all over alaska but we had this structure it's called a fish weir it's essentially um really simple device it's basically a floating fence that crosses the entire river completely impedes the salmon from going upstream and then we have two chutes with traps in them and the vast majority of the time the chutes are just open and I'm literally standing there on the trap. And as the fish swim through, I'm calling the species of it and then counting it. And that's the vast majority of, of, uh, of the time is that you just let the fish pass. But each day you have to close the trap, fill it with fish, speciate them, take samples, and then let them go. And so we don't kill anything, but um, most of it's just clear passage, but they want to know what the, what the escapement is. And, you know, the salmon different, there's five different species and some of them have a three year cycle. They're born in fresh water. They migrate down to the seawater and they come back and spawn in fresh water again. And some of them are three years and some of them are up to five years and sometimes even longer. Wow. Yeah. That's fascinating. So, but yeah, so I did that. And, um, and then the only other thing I really worked on is I did a, I did a grouse, uh, it's completely off the um, radar, but I did a rough grouse study for the University of Minnesota, uh, which was just pretty fascinating. It was just, uh, they had been doing a study for years on a somewhat controlled area in northern Minnesota, and this was the last year of the study, and I was hired to go and run essentially the same exact study on public land, or not public land, but on another um, federal area, just to compare the data that I 
found mm-hmm. with the data that they were doing on this other research station just to find if it was uh, just as kind of a control. Yeah. So, okay, we've been studying this for a really long time here. So why don't you go over in this other forest that is similar design to this forest and see if what we've been finding is actually what can be assumed for other areas that fit this, wow. you know, vegetation demographic. So I did all that stuff and then I just kind of started getting into different businesses and filming and, and, uh, you know, in like most people's lives, I evolved away from it and out of it. And, and, uh, I'm really happy with the path that, that I've definitely taken. Mm-hmm. I had no interest ever in becoming an academic and teaching college classes or becoming a tenured professor or anything like that. I had no ambitions ever of getting a PhD in biology. I just, I just loved being outside, loved being immersed in the wildlife and, and, um, loved contributing in even the smallest, simplest way yeah. to the natural resources. Well, you're definitely a conservationist. Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's like really apparent. Like what we were talking about the, um, maybe you could sp- explain that a little bit more mm. as the, when you were talking about the, um, the dead zones and, and stuff like that. Like, so how does, how does that work? Like w- explain what a dead zone is and ha- how that comes about. Yeah. Well, it's just, um, so a dead zone is, is, uh, a dead zone is a portion of the ocean that becomes hypoxic, having no oxygen in it from certain, um, certain chemicals that we have from runoff from farm fields into rivers that get pushed out to the ocean. And then algae has a big bloom because it's on, it's on fertilizer. That's the very kind of layman sense of it. And I, I only, we were discussing, and the only reason I brought that up is because some people like to, um, you know, hunting is a, it's, it's, it's controversial. It, it receives some flack and there's nothing interesting or sexy about killing an animal. So it's pretty easy to, even though it's, it's been all of our ancestries, it's pretty easy to kind of, um, take a hard look at hunting because it's something that's not really that fun to talk about uh, killing an animal, you know? And so obviously there's a significant portion of people that are against it and, and question it and they, they don't really understand it. And so, um, my point was with you is that, you know, we have seven plus billion people on the globe and there are things that are changing all the time. There's an evolution of things that are going on all the time. And whether you, even if you eat all the vegetables, if you have, if you think for a second that your carbon footprint doesn't exist because you're a vegetarian or doesn't exist because you're a vegan or doesn't exist because you drive a Prius, you're a fool. Everything we do as human beings has a footprint and oftentimes it's significant. And so I was just pointing out to you that even with all these farmers and, and farming that goes on where we're growing corn and soybeans and all that stuff, the excess nitrogen and phosphorus that they now have to dump into the soils to grow the same plants because, you know, that they that they could easily in the 1940s, 50s, 60s, they struggle with now because the soils have become so leached through erosion and, and, and so leached through um, farming that a lot of these chemicals, after they dump them in the field, they run off in the Mississippi River, flow down to the Gulf of Mexico, they have a giant algal bloom and, and create this big dead zone. And, and, um, and that's basically all off of, uh, off of agriculture and, and, and growing vegetables. And I'm, I'm, I'm not saying it's tit for a tad. I'm just saying it's, you know, it's, it's being a hunter, being a conservationist, being a vegetarian, a vegan, all of these things, we all have to be, um, ultra aware of what we're doing and how it's impacting the globe and impacting each other. 
and none of us can stand on our our high horse and say what I'm doing is right or I have the right to continue to do what I'm doing none of us have the right we should all have a, a, a dedicated um, interest in the globe and doing whatever practices we can to try to to, to make you know the earth as as um, as sustainable and, and healthy and through conservation preservation whatever it takes but these are all moving targets right this is all something that's that's it's constantly going on and so um, I just don't like when people, um, pick a side, whether even, even hunters, when guys say it's my right to hunt, I'm always yeah. gonna be a hunter. That's it. That's the way it's going to be. I think you're, I think you're dead ass wrong. You have, there's too much gray area. And if you really care, then you have to kind of listen to both sides, figure out what's really right for the area for different situations, and then, um, go about it with, um, the greatest ethics and, and, um, conservation mind that you can yeah there's a huge sliding scale and for every every pro um there is you know maybe a con mm -hmm. and uh, we were talking about it earlier there was the um san bernardino uh shooting and everything and it like I, I i'm not gonna get into that conversation i feel like i do all the time and i feel like everybody else does so i don't want to gun control yeah you. i don't i'm not necessarily going to go down that road but i'll just say this about it is um i'm not the smartest guy in the room mm -hmm. um i do understand to an extent though that you 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 go down a really scary path when you you start limiting things for uh, an individual's freedoms and it's it's a it's a weird it's a weird gray area and and i know you, you saying that a lot of people don't understand exactly what that means and should everyone have nukes some will argue yes uh if the government can have it you should be able to have it i don't necessarily buy into that because i feel like the that necessarily the nature of humanity is like some people might have a bad day and they might feel self-destructive instead of reaching for a bottle of whiskey like screw it let's end it and i'm going to take the city out with me i'm mm -hmm. going to i'm going to detonate my nuke or whatever and I, and I know that's crazy and i know like i i keep saying this but a lot of people will probably give me a hard time about it but um but on the flip side of the coin the when you you start making things extremely difficult for people M myself being in the state of california being back and forth between tennessee and tennessee i'm a manufacturer of just about everything ammunition firearms i'm an nfa manufacturer machine gun suppressors i'm a type 20 manufacturer explosives all that good stuff um and but in california i'm i'm i i applied like five years ago for my california dangerous weapons permit which would also allow me to get my high capacity magazine permit which is technically it's all about wording too uh, i feel like uh, i'm gonna try not to stray here i'm sorry but like i no feel worries. like every time people the the people should get really angry when people label things wrong and you should call them out and lose your mind on it because they're always going to exploit that that thing like be it the affordable health care act is nothing 
close to being affordable about it. I'm going to say the Patriot Act is nothing close to being anything about personal liberties. Uh, and the same thing when it comes to uh, the, like, the high-capacity magazine permit is technically standard capacity. 15 rounds, 30 rounds is standard capacity what comes with, with rifles and, uh, and most like uh, handguns. Uh, and, and it's frustrating to me that I've spent five years, the better part of five years, and a lot, a lot of money in, in dealing with the state of California, Cal DOJ, proving this case that uh, I, I have reasonable justification for the permit. I have a business plan. I have everything. They do the field investigations, all this stuff. And, and they've approved me, but they sit on the permit. And it infuriates me to all hell when I hear people say, we need more gun control. That is, we're not doing enough. No, we, we trust me. If anybody knows how good or how difficult things are when it comes to gun control i do because i've been trying to get a 15 round magazine permit for the state of california for five years, for five years. and 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 again i i know i'm 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 re i'm just regurgitating what everyone says but it's true it's like you know criminals by definition don't obey the law so like you make all the laws you want mm -hmm. and you can stack the penalties as high as you want but what's going to happen you're going to have more people in prison yeah and it's, it's not necessarily going to fix uh, or be a solution to a problem. And so that's what's really frustrating uh, to me. But I know I'm going on a, on a rant here, but... No, uh, it's, it's, but, it's applicable. But, There's a lot of variables. But when you say, when you say okay, state of California, you're going to have a 10-day cool-off period for you to get a permit uh, or get your, your, your handgun. And, you know, I was telling you the story about, and I'm sure a lot of my viewers have heard me talk about the lady in, in, uh, outside of, uh, Sacramento who, or this elderly lady who house got broken into and they didn't go in, but, uh, she got her, her elderly brother to stay with her three days later. Uh, there was forcible entry inside the house. The brother, the elderly brother, ended up shooting and killing the guy who, uh, I guess, had a weapon on him. And um, and had she gone to apply for a firearm, she wouldn't have she wouldn't have made it to the ten day through the ten day wait. Sure. And and then on the flip side of the coin, you think, well, okay, well, what if somebody says, hey, you know what, so and so made me angry. I'm gonna go buy this gun and I'm gonna go shoot shoot him. And so, so how do you prevent that from happening? I personally don't think that you can do that by any background check or anything like that. There's, there's something way bigger that we have to figure out as a society, and it's way more complicated than what yeah, I It's complex. It's but, but like you say, it's a, it's a sliding scale. For every pro, there's going to be a con, and you have to figure out which one, which one is the lesser of two evils and a lot of people will hate to hear that but you have you have to choose the lesser of two evils because one way or another somebody's going to get hurt i mean it, it's it's inevitable i mean you take you take take the guns away from law enforcement and you're not going to get these 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 maybe officer involved shootings but you're also not going to get the officer who's going to save somebody's life oh, yeah. in this situation. And and I, I hear I hear people talk about here's another case. Uh, I hear people talk about ooh nobody needs a 30 round magazine. You watch this video of this have you seen this day the 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 guy who gets out of the car gets out of the car or truck with an AK uh, 30 round magazine 
and it's full auto and the police officer has a handgun he gets out he shows the the rifle or something or reaches back in i forget i know i'm speaking out of poor memory but i do know he dumps the entire magazine the cop or the officer dumps his entire magazine and not one person gets hit at each other at each other not one person gets hit and it's like okay they can they can dump through all their ammunition and nobody get hit <laughs> and and you're telling me you're telling me that that two rounds should be sufficient no you've never been in a stressful situation or like you know it, it's just it's just it's it's you're gonna have to pick one or the two things and personally i rather i would rather have armed law enforcement um in 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 society i feel like um body cams are a great way to help mitigate that oh, sure. and 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 that's really helping you know the help bring that shade of gray back towards, you know, the, you know, finding out that there are, Hey, there are really good cops out there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just the sensational headlines and stuff that you see here and there, but, um, same thing when it comes to, to, uh, to hunting, like we were talking about in the stereotypes. Yeah. You might hear, hear the one or two guys out there that have like, you know, like you see the, the, the torso on the side of the road with the head, head lopped off and everything. But I would say 99.9% .9 of the people that I know in the sportsman community, be it hunting or just going out to the range and sh plinking for fun, are of the same mindset as you. So it's really, I think, more um, uh, coordinating and and everyone like becoming you know you have a, a phenomenal community of, uh, of people who support you and and everything that you do i just feel like everyone should be less less vocal of a troll and more vocal of a uh, collaborative effort and yeah. and trying to figure out solutions to this stuff because it's it's easy to get caught up into the negative side of you're right you're or, uh, i'm right you're wrong and you know the arguing but it's like okay let's sit down let's really let's just if you if you're really that passionate about it let's figure out a solution mm -hmm. to it so so if there is something to do with these 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 dead zones and stuff like that i mean y y there's 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 an economic incentive for for just about everything you know out there so we could we could we could figure out a way to pull our money towards other companies now granted if there was a bailout or something then we, you know <laughs> i guess we we couldn't really do anything about that yeah but. i mean it's just there's always you know it's it's everything's a moving target everything's a moving target and and uh i just for me you know, and that's, and that's all I can speak for. But for me, the more I've opened my mind, the more I've listened even to those people that are um, criticizing me or criticizing what I'm doing or um, still I owe it to myself and to um, the outside world that I participate in to listen to them because I might be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always want to contribute. I always want to contribute. And, and, you know, we have a str this. I, I started getting asked why I hunted and early on I, I didn't even know I couldn't even answer that question because I grew up reading these fantastic adventure books about these hunters that would go on these big huge um, you know uh, big huge adventures if you will and and I wanted to do the same things that they did and I had no idea really why and it wasn't until I started doing my own research about um, human evolution and where human beings have come from and where and you know, in, in our complete ancestry that I realized that, oh, we are all hunters. 
that's why it probably lives so strongly in me. And, and, uh, and then I just started developing it. And then as I started learning more about the ecosystems, then I started wanting to engage them more, um, participate more with it and then also contribute more with it. And so that I could either get more out of it, uh, myself, like, um, in harvesting a deer, or I could get more out of it in heading home and holding my head high that the place is better than it was before. Or, um, I just have this intrinsic value in my head of, oh, that place is really beautiful and it's doing really great. I didn't kill an animal there. I wasn't even hunting, but still it's, it's really amazing to see a, a pristine area. And so, um, as I started to realize these things and, and the more I participated, the more I got out of it. So, um, and then it's really hard to explain to people, but when you can spend time in the forest, spend time in the tundra, hunt, be there, live as we are intended to live, sneak up on a deer or a caribou, arrow it, cut it up, put the meat in your backpack, carry 70, 80 pound packs back to camp, you're exhausted, it's raining, your legs are completely taxed, you slip out of your pack, your pelvis is killing you, sit down in your teepee, slice off a couple of steaks, throw them in a little pan on your, on our little tin wood stove and fry them up and sit there and eat them. It's uh, in, insanely rewarding, insanely rewarding. And it's not all that different uh, to put it in, to give it a vegetarian spin. It's not all that different to do the exact same thing and go, <clears throat> pick a bucket of blueberries and go back to your teepee and do the same thing. It's just, um, to each their own, but, uh, it's all, it's just terribly rewarding. And it's funny because if you go to generally you go to, um, less privileged countries or, or countries that are more Aboriginal, there aren't animal activists. There aren't anti hunters that are even in the area because it's just so natural for them to be hunters and gatherers that it's not even questioned. It's well, they don't have even, a grocery store to really... Yeah, that's what I mean. Go. Our infrastructure has set a lot of people up to get up on a soapbox and say, oh yeah, well, you shouldn't do that. Okay, so should you go to Starbucks every day? Should you drive your car to Starbucks every day? And no, I mean, you should you should order from blackriflecoffee.com and pick you up some... But yeah, so that's, that's um, been my main goal and that's why we... You know, I, I didn't start filming for any other reason than to share that with people yeah. and share the places that I was going. Like I'd sit there, um, I ended up kind of quote unquote living with a pack of wolves, um, in 2004, I think it was. And I had a picture camera with me, but I didn't have any video cameras with me, but I just thought, man, if I could share this with, you know, if I could film this and just share it with my family and friends how awesome would this be and then I started meeting guys that really knew how to run cameras and then I met Kyle Nicolite who um, really knows how to tell a great story and I've always felt like I was a pretty decent storyteller and he's been you know slowly I've been fumbling through learning how to be a filmmaker and he's and you know we've just kind of developed this team of people that have a common mind and common goals and um our, the, our audience has really responded to the work just because I think it's, uh, you know, authentic and sincere. And I know those words get thrown around a lot, but really that's, that's as simple as it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, insincere, um, I guess fake stage stuff, the, the Hollywood side of stuff is 
definitely like kind of infiltrated just about everything that you do. I mean, you could you could say that as far as TV shows and everything, but for me, the 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 frustrations that I get come with. Um, oh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna, uh, every I feel like everything that I say I'm gonna catch hell for, but let's just say <laughs> let's just say the gold should be illegal. Yeah, I hate gold. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I let's just say the action cam effect where uh, everyone has a cell phone, everyone has an action cam, and it's like, well, so-and-so did it. I connected with it, what they did. I'm going to do it and um, maybe bastardize the platform. Or even then, I, I, I don't necessarily uh, 110% agree with that because if you don't do it, um, you're missing out on an opportunity to share, like you say, mm -hmm. your your experience and mm -hmm. and have an opportunity for growth. The the problem that I have comes when people do it for the wrong reasons. Um, they're doing it just for the attention and not necessarily for the growth. Mm -hmm. The 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 instant gratification that comes with uh, the insta post or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's just. It's really frustrating to me in the sport. I mean, I'm guilty of it. I'm totally guilty of it, but I'm also extremely aware of it um, because it's okay it, to have it, some hypocrisy. Yeah. You know? Well, I mean, you you'll you'll see. You, I mean, arguably, a lot of the people uh, vent in the comments on Facebook and on Twitter and like, dude, come on, man, you're hanging out with so and so. You're doing this and you're not posting pictures or videos of it on Instagram. And I know to a certain extent, I, I don't necessarily have an obligation, but I do because people appreciate uh, some of the stuff that I do. And I feel like not necessarily sharing it um, is a disservice to them to a certain degree. Mm -hmm. I know that might sound arrogant, but I mean, that's why a lot of people subscribe and do this stuff. But, but for me, I feel like it also takes me out of the moment and and the ability to not necessarily appreciate that is kind of frustrating because this take this weekend for an example um i i haven't really experienced the temperatures like this where it's nice and comfortable in the <laughs> 30s and 40s you learned that packing snow exists yeah right <laughs> packing snow but see that's the other thing the the the, the type of snow that was falling it was really really big fat wet flakes mm -hmm. and and packing snow packing snow okay okay so i learned Not what packing powder. snow was okay okay um but but it's just it's it's it really like i like is as crazy as i was just running around we got to get this we got to get this we got to do this we got to do this we got to do this i really wanted to take time to just take it all in because it's it's unfortunate if the time goes by and i'm focused on that insta post and not really the experience that we have you know like meeting you hanging out here getting some tips on you know shooting my compound bow and stuff like that because I, i'll be honest with you like if, if if we we weren't doing this for the the uh, movie like wanting us to come out here and do this I wouldn't be able to afford to do this mm -hmm. I'm the, I don't I don't have the time or the money to like just hey let's just go get a cabin and go kick it for mm -hmm. you know which is unfortunate days. but fortunate that we still get yeah yeah I it, mean it's yeah. it's we get we get we get the best of both worlds yeah. I guess yeah. but 
but it's it's just it's just one of those things where I I really like to take more time in the future and and do that. But um, we'll back, have to we'll have to link up and and uh, you'll have to come and take a little taste of my world and yeah. yeah. And then you <laughs> should you should do a camp out for like an iPhone or something. <laughs> Bring the TV. That's hilarious. That's <laughs> and, so know, the funny thing is we'll they, go to like a cold climate Alaska. You know, iPhone camp out. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's great. I don't think, I think they only Down have malls. They don't, in they the don't, rain. <laughs> they don't do, um, they, they don't have outside malls like they do in California, I don't think, up in Alaska. But, no. um, mm-hmm. I mean, but, you could start maybe something. So, so <laughs> for extreme, <laughs> you know, lineups or something. Well, okay. So for some of you guys, uh, some of Donnie's, um, Viewers might be listening. Let's go. What is he talking about? So, um, <laughs> if you haven't seen the stuff that I'll do, uh, I shoot a lot of technology, primarily a lot of iPhone stuff. But um, yeah, not in photographs. Uh, the the crazy bullets. the crazy thing is is I've over the last I think since the iPhone 3G, uh, not the the three, but the 3G, I camped out for every single one of them. Um, because I don't have, you know, like the thing is, is when I make two my two days yeah, in well, LA yeah, to, right? to, to get in a phone, front of to get a phone. yeah. And so the thing is, 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 is yeah, I, 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 I <laughs> this did, is real. Yeah. So I, I don't have the, I, I don't have the, the time times is super like, well, it used to be things are changing now where it's like, it used to be if you get the video up the same day, it's going to do really well because nobody else is doing anything like it. Now there's like a billion tech destruction channels yeah. out there. And uh, it is everyone knows, okay, launch day of the iPhone. I'm uploading this or whatever. So now I'm kind of like straying away from doing launch day stuff because it's like it just it gets watered down too much. So so, so but, guys are getting brand new phones the day they come out and then blowing them up and shooting them. Yeah, away. not necessarily shooting them, but destroying them in some ways. Sure. But um, so when the 3G came out, um, I, I needed to get it done really fast. So I would I would get the phone at eight o'clock. I'd shoot the video, uh, be done by 11 a.m. at the range and everything. Come back, edit it, get it up by 2 p.m. And wow. uh, yeah, it's really and this, this is after one or two days of camping, like two days of camping, probably for the four and the four S because at that time it was still an AT&T exclusive. So, um, everyone was camping. Roughing it. Yeah. Roughing it. Roughing it. Oh yeah. It's funny. I got, I actually, I got caramel popcorn. Yeah, exactly. Oh, it's crazy. Right by the food court, right? Right by the food court. You know, it's, it's hard because when, when, when Panda Express closes, (laughs) Yeah. What are you going to do? You don't know what's going to happen. What are you going to do? Prepared. Total anarchy. What are you going to do? Prepared. Funny story. Uh, Dave <laughs> is the only person that I know uh, who's 10 o'clock in the morning. You know, Panda Express is open. They open that little open gym at 10 a.m. Just before lunch. Just <laughs> before the rush. You know, yeah. I camp out in front of uh, Panda Express. <laughs> Richard's like, we got an iPhone. And I'm like, hold on. Hold yeah, on, we're gonna we're, we're gonna get the, we're gonna get this. sweet and sour pork also. Gonna, yeah. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, orange, orange chicken, chicken, Beijing, beef. Beijing beef, <laughs> yeah. half and half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Beijing I, what beef? Yeah, Beijing, Beijing beef. beef. <laughs> Beijing yeah. beef. So I would uh, I would camp out for the the phones, and now it's gotten to the point with the six S and the iPad Pro where the uh, online reservations and stuff like oh, that yeah. they don't do they they do. 
Um, they do day of sales, yeah. but there's very few. So you're reserving um, a, a, a device or something yeah. a week before. It, is and the so success you, the one that just came out? Yeah, in September, I think. Okay. And the did, iPad Pro is, just Did we out. shoot that today? Yeah, was the the six plus. Yeah, six plus. yeah, the yeah. the the bigger one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's so yeah. many, so many. But um, yeah, so it's 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 come a, a little bit a little bit of uh, a ways. But I I camp out for that stuff. And believe it or not, there are a couple times that it was it it's was like a fishing season, right? When it yeah. opens, you want to be there. Yeah, it is <laughs> wanna... a couple times. It was like it wasn't that cool it was like, it was they, like they could close it basically. la like you were doing earlier they, you're, they you're camping outside I was next like we're done there's they, no more they, iphones go home okay here's the here's the thing if they 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 make you stand outside you can't sit you can't bring chairs you can't bring tents or anything until it's probably against code or something yeah until the night of the day uh the night of or before yeah um yeah the night before yeah um so if you're there all that time before you're standing and la like 104 degrees ish like super hot in september and so you're baking in the sun and it, it actually does like dehydrate the crap it's out wobbling. of it. Oh yeah. But like the last couple of years have, have actually been really nice. Like it's been really like moderate temperatures and stuff. So, <laughs> but, uh, and I know every, it, the, the crazy thing, everyone's like, well, why didn't you just pay somebody to stand in line for you or whatever? Well, that costs money. It does cost money, but nine times big out, money, not, big money, big <laughs> money, big money. Cause like like, more than just Panda chicken or Panda yeah. Express. Yeah, you nine, can't just feed them. You have to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Nine times. And you're going to make them stand in a hundred. That's hazard cruelty. pay. That's, that's hazard. Cruelty. Yes. That's hazard pay. So you just figure $10 an hour, $10 yeah. an hour for like 24 hours, 240 bucks. Yeah. And, and then on top of that, they're going to have all these guys coming up to them saying, Hey bro, bro, how much for a place in line? And then you have to like bid against this person who is supposed to be standing. <laughs> who's, who's just the guy's friend. Yeah. Who kind of comes in. It's like, hey, you know, an hour before it opens, just kind of. So I would, I, would, I, I would get my spot in line and then I would have somebody, I'd pay somebody like a friend or somebody to be out there with me and we just have two spots. Uh, but yeah, that, oh man, it, it's, it's, it's brutal it's so brutal it's Bru like you know brutal brutal it's first first uh, world I have never problems. done it inner city camping. never done it, 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 it you know is it good people watching it's so much fun though like to the extent it's like great people when i was when great i was people when i was a kid uh we would camp out for wrestling tickets um oh, yeah. because you, like andre the giant stuff uh it was hulk hogan ultimate warrior yeah. the bushwhackers legion of doom uh, it was all the WWF heyday stuff. The yeah. Rock was just coming out. Ooh, and, yeah, uh, yeah, that was that was that was that was that was some good times. But you, you hacksaw Jim Duggan. Hack, yeah, hacksaw Ooh. Jim Duggan and the Bushwaggers, man. Oh, oh. <laughs> um, it was, it was, oh it was you, the people. Most of the people in line are like really cool. So it was, it, it's a fun experience of course. meeting of course. people and yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so those those days are done. Are done so we're gonna have to now you have the pre-order yeah now i have the pre-order yeah, pre but so you'll have to come and live in my world for a couple of uh six seven eight nine ten days and then um i definitely want to just invite myself back to come shoot more stuff with yeah, you guys absolutely yeah absolutely and we'll we'll figure out some 
some more uh, controlled things that we can do. Yeah. Maybe control the wind a little bit better. I tried every time I tried. That was doing, me. That was me today. Not man, it's though. crazy with the uh, Santa Ana winds in Southern California and and everything. It's like you can't find you can't find any dead wind anywhere. It's yeah. just like it's it, that was a, that was a difficult shot, but it's today cool. was fun, man. It was fun. Yeah, it was, was fun good. shooting all those cards, the candles. It was fun. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I kind of want to like now, you know, take a a deer decoy and fill that thing with explosives and oh jeez, <laughs> and shoot that. We we shot a um the wh- who makes those the the archery um dinosaurs. Oh, uh, Reinhardt. Reinhardt. Yes, yeah. we we got awesome the, targets. I'll have to show yeah. you that video uh, when Reinhardt we get done targets. here. Um, the Velociraptor. Did you blow it up? Yeah, 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 yeah. S- son of a gun so yeah just, you'll yeah. you'll love it so you stole my idea before i, I came stole your it. idea oh my god alexander uh. graham bell did the same thing <laughs> terrible terrible uh, i love it but yeah no uh yeah we'll, we'll definitely we'll figure out some some cool yeah. stuff to do it's just i don't know like the the uh the california i mean stuff. we we could do a camp out i know there's pre-orders and everything but <laughs> i think you might enjoy it i just think to, so too you know, we maybe just, you could scare people away just with the smell. <laughs> they go downwind. Stop, get stop wearing out. wool. Stop wearing icebreaker <laughs> wool. Or we could do is we could take and we could order something and have it ground shipped Ooh. to a GPS location Ooh. or somewhere uh, and have it yeah. delivered. I don't know. That's getting mad. They don't even do that. What about hey, I'm just we, well, hey, the ups, Amaz- Amazon's eventually going to have that drone. Yeah. No, they said I just saw something today or the yeah. other day. It said it's not as far out as you think. Yeah. She's coming. Yeah. And they probably wanted to deliver it into some field in the middle of nowhere. Drone before, but look, at, we did some... make the UPS guy put chains yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah we so did. we have to put chains on. We uh we this this location we're at uh right now. There's a. A, a, a decent amount of snow uh out here and the uh the road that leads up to it. it's not heavily traveled and it has about well, about a quarter a mile half a mile yeah. private driveway and definitely snowed and iced over and and donnie had some some uh packages delivered or a package delivered and the the ups guy we're like oh is that is that we hear the diesel engine is that is that ups is he here is that the next day air package and like no 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 it's not it's like well all right i'm not gonna shoot because i don't want to scare him away (laughs) because like if i if i shoot he might freak out and not want to come up a private driveway with a truck that might not make it and so what was it an hour two hours yeah yeah two hours later he ends up he ends up coming back up the the drive and he's has chains on his tire and everything it's great i had to go back to the shop put the chains on that's awesome margie ordered a christmas tree and i thought she wanted at the house but she wanted at the shop and (laughs) so i went back down and put chains on and that's so good yeah it's so good all right well it was good man it was fun i know you gotta uh get going to the airport and everything so so what do you what do you got what do you got coming up Um, um lots of things i mean we're we're launching some additional films this year we're, we're working on building a couple of films this year and then we have some other ideas on things that we want to go and film um some kind of sensational things that i'll i'll you know we'll reveal them when we're when we're ready and then we're actually um um maybe even gonna do some stuff on uh, on a little bit bigger of a tv scale but we'll see if the project kind of lines up with who we are and what we want to do and 
but yeah we've got some we've got some fun stuff coming up so we just have to stay tuned how how can everybody find you oh what, do, what are you on the most facebook twitter um instagram vine that's Snapchat. a great question because i'm you I'm, look like a viner i'm what's that i don't even know what that means, <laughs> I don't even know what that means. <laughs> yeah donnie donnie shows up on his on his 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 hoverboard or his his <laughs> airboard just rolling around with his, his uh, hey there we go there we go i did the room clearing with the the saw we should do some hoverboard hoverboard archery yeah Ooh. that'd be good that'd be good somebody's gonna already beat me to it now yeah. that i said no, it whatever oh, it. Yeah. whatever yeah. whatever yeah. whatever no, they can they can find me on all the normal channels uh donnybinson.com that's where our website that we launch off of and then uh facebook and instagram and yeah wait what are you what are you on uh facebook what was it um it? what do you mean like how do they find me yeah i think they just type in donnie vincent right i you got the little verified yeah. check or whatever yeah. so they know that it's not yeah i don't Donnie. know like my actual like call sign oh, okay i don't, I don't yeah. participate in in that how what's Kyle what's the best know. way to get a hold of donnie on social media donnie underscore vincent yeah see there you go donnie underscore vincent <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i'm having that put on a shirt what is it keanu reese is 51 he is yeah yeah we Ted's definitely getting have old. to do that we definitely should do that one parachute one revolver jump conversation you could totally thing. get away with a, a keanu uh, it video if we did like a, a i'm john... gonna have two parachutes and i'll i'll, I'll, I'll film it <laughs> i have two and i'm not gonna be you anywhere near you guys <laughs> my parachute has a parachute <laughs> we could totally do a john wick two fake trailer with donnie mm -hmm. and then have him run some guns mm -hmm. and then do some badass archery stuff mm -hmm. that'd be kind of cool what's the premise of john wick 2 just do we know i don't know i mean the first time it was because someone that went after his dog right yeah and he dog yeah. yeah his dog um don't mess with him yeah don't don't, don't mess with somebody's dog no. i like you know when when yeah I, I won't even i won't even say it no but i won't even say it but don't. don't mess with somebody's dog. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I have Great three, premise. and if you mess with them, you're going to get arrowed. Great premise. <laughs> yeah. If you mess with my dog, and then you come out of your house, and you're getting your mail, and you hear, Nyeh. don't stop. It's all going to get dark in a hurry. Yeah, I, think, I feel like everybody everybody has that. Anything in this world that gives you unconditional love, it's just yeah. like you will, you will bend over backwards yeah. for it. I had a guy like, tell me one time, he said, um, I'm sure you guys have heard this before, but when he told me, I hadn't heard it yet. He made me laugh. He said, tonight... If you question your dog's love tonight when you get home, lock your wife and your Labrador in the trunk of your car. In the morning, go open up the trunk. One of them is going to be really happy to see you. <laughs> <laughs> but only one of them is going to be really happy to so see that, you. So that guy had a lot of successful relationships, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, I, he may not have been a Casanova. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's funny all right that's a good way to end it uh thanks for listening to this guys make sure you go find donnie on facebook and all that good stuff at donnie underscore vincent go check out his website what's your website again donniemincent.com donniemincent.com d-o-n-n-i-e vincent.com sweet all right well next time you guys see me i might i don't know i might be back in tennessee i don't know i don't know what i'm gonna be doing right so on. uh we'll just we'll figure it out from here and uh we'll see you guys soon thanks man all right yeah, thanks for having